Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. The episode is just kind of the finale in general. So, but it's not the finale of the show. The finale of the it's season. Season. Season finale. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Feel free to unmute yourselves, and if uh, anyone has any either questions or, or just initial thoughts about the episode, the finale. It's a, so, a finale yeah. to the extent that we had the impression they weren't sure they were going to be renewed for a second season when they made it. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what they're, I don't know if they knew when they finished this season, if they were going to have a second, um, but they do, they have a second and a third. In fact. Yeah. <laughs> but probably a lot of shows don't know that. I, I thought it was really sad that, the character Hodaya was is experimenting with not being religious, having gone through this whole breakup with this otherwise very ideal potential partner mm-hmm. over that particular issue. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was sad. I mean, in in. In many aspects of life, uh, timing is everything. But uh, I just that just struck me as as a moment of irony, I guess, that somehow stuck with me more than uh, what's her name, Yafat saying no to to Nati after all these. All these years of desiring him. All I'll say, I said the same thing to Rabbi Pernick, is just keep watching the show. <laughs> um, I, 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 won't, I won't tell you, you know, too much one way or the other because I don't want to ruin anything for you. But I think that, that you're right. The, the idea that Hodaya has kind of come to this conclusion after meeting with uh, the guy in the cafe, right, that that really one of her ways potentially to become closer to God, which is ultimately something that it seems like at least she's interested in, is to be in a space in which she can question more than she can just practice blindly. Um, and actually, I, that's a scene that I always remember because I actually think it's a really interesting way of thinking about just modern day Judaism in general and how many questions we ask and how we look at Judaism both from the eyes of tradition, but also the eyes of modernity, uh, and uh, and wondering kind of where where we fit into this larger fabric of practice, but also function in in the world. Um, and then in terms of Vifat, yeah, just anyway, it's a great show. You should just keep keep watching. It'll be exciting to hear next week what you think. Yeah, Debbie. So uh, as I mentioned before, I mean, I think that the choice of Anna Efne as the theme song for this show and actually the name of this episode is incredibly, you know, important. And it actually reflects what you were just talking about, Rabbi Schatz, that kind of that conflict that, you know, you between being observant, but now you want to be modern and, and this constant, you know, pull on both sides. And I think that's why that song was chosen. Yeah, I love that you asked the question in the beginning. Um, I, I really love this song, but I never looked into it in terms of like why they chose it or if they wrote it for this show. I don't actually know the history of it at all. Um, but 
Yeah, I think that that's going to be, that is a theme clearly that's been building up throughout this first season. And I think as we get through the other seasons, you'll see how it then starts to play out. Now that we've been introduced, I mean, I know you've seen the show, but now that we've been introduced to these characters, how they then play out throughout the journey that you're describing um, for each one of them and their relationships with one another and, and all of that. Yeah, Steve. I just noticed, I'm just thinking of the the whole first season and this whole thing about leaving, leaving to get a, to get a fresh start. You know, we have Amir leaving his first wife. We have Fat leaving Jerusalem, going up to the settlement. Um, you know, we have um, uh, Ryut at the very end, you know, uh, leaving to go to India, mm -hmm. Odaya, you know, leaving her religion. And the only one that hasn't really left to start over is Nati. You know, mm -hmm. he's stuck. Yeah, he he kind of like leaves. He leaves what we would expect of him, right? He he goes to Ifan. He's like, no, actually, I am in love with you, and right. He 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 pivots away from the typical character that we expect of him. But at the same time, he's exactly the same character, which is, oh, you found someone else who you love. So let me step in now and tell you that I actually do love you because someone else got you first. So now I need to tell you that actually I love you. And you know, make sure right. that that is something I can play upon. Which is actually the same thing we we saw before. You know, we saw the defensiveness with Nitsan was like, you didn't tell me that Amir and Nifat are together, and he's like, they're not together, and it's sort of like, of course they're together, right? Like Amir never mentioned it, you know. So theoretically, Nati didn't know, but you know, yeah, it's very it's very in line with all of that. Yeah, Denise. Um, we're just talking about leaving. Not leaving. When Nazi has the chance to come to the U.S., he actually says, I don't want to leave. Right. He has a whole conversation about he doesn't want to leave because he doesn't want to leave his place. So they, they like made a conscious choice to kind of differentiate him in that way. Yeah, yeah. And just, you're you're agreeing with Steve that there is a lot of leaving from all these other characters, but Nazi is kind of the only one who seems stuck and isn't isn't moving away from that. Um, from his own narrative, really. But I mean, leaving is a sort of a decisive choice, and Nazi's sort of notoriously indecisive, right? He's sort of numerous <laughs> times tried to leave or thought about leaving, or right, thought about making decisions and then backtracked, you know, so. But going to India is a temporary thing. Hodaya, on the other hand, she seems to want to leave Yiddishkeit Currently, it's like she wants to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I didn't see that. You didn't see it that way. No, I didn't see it that way. I half expected that she was going to find somebody to give her lessons in how to be Hiluni. <laughs> but even that talk with the professor, he's like, you don't ever leave. No one will ever understand you. <laughs> like, you're going to feel the rest of You're never going to feel, right? Like the professor said very explicitly, like, you're never going to feel like a Hiluni. You're always going to feel like they don't understand you and you're translating like no matter how much you try to leave. So it's interesting that even after that conversation, she still tries. Yeah. Sharice. Um, I was going to say that Nati actually does leave. He leaves every meaningful relationship that he, he starts. So it's, it's not like he doesn't, I mean, he, he leaves the most, I think out of anybody in this show. It's hmm. fair. Interesting. A fair point. No. Well, actually, although he leaves, he actually forces other people to make him leave. He won't actually make the decision himself. He puts people in a position where they make him leave. Yeah, he pushes people away. 
Yeah. That is true. That is true. But ultimately, he gives up and he walks away. Right. It's also probably, I like that we're going down this drosh. It's nice that we're all writing a drosh together. Um, I. It's interesting to me that you probably have to be sure of yourself to, to leave, right? That it's, if you're going to, if, if we think back to like Abraham, right? When Abraham is told to go, if Abraham didn't feel roots where Abraham was, it might not have been the same kind of experience of leaving, right? Or the three places that God um, expresses as the places that are being left might not have been expressed in that way. And maybe it's that Nazi doesn't really know what he wants or who he is. And so as you're all explaining, like he's kind of leaving or kind of pushing people away or kind of making other people leave or making him leave other people. But maybe that's because he just doesn't yet know who he is. And once he's established, he he won't leave that that piece of him behind so easily. So Eileen had her hand up or unmuted and then Barbara. Um, I was going to say that um, Hadaya's journey, it, listening to the professor who had a similar experience but said that he eventually found God, may definitely indicate that she will come back the other way after she maybe has a trial with going away from being religious. Hmm. Right. It's almost like you get the sense like she – she kind of wants to find herself and it's sort of like, I need to make a clean break so that I can sort of figure it out. Of course, anyone who's like lived knows that there is no clean break. Like there, there's always, there's always connections with other people from your past. But, um, but that sort of, this seems to be the sense is like, I need to just like, right. She even said when they said, when uh, Ipat said something, you know, she responded like, at least at the beginning, I need to be a serious Chiloni. Like I need yeah. to like, I need to be machmir about being Chiloni. And then we'll see what happens after that. You know? yeah. yeah, Barbara. I, I actually understand um, Nati not being ready for adulthood. He's a young doctor. Uh, in the beginning, I think he's a resident. And then later on, I'm not, I'm, I get confused as to whether he's a resident or an attending, a young attending. And having been through that a few years ago, um, <laughs> Uh, I can tell you that many of us are, are like Nati. We were more concerned about our medical career than in trying to find a mate. And there are doctors, young doctors, that find a mate even in college and come into medical school with their mates. But then there's a large number of us, like Nati and myself. I didn't push anybody away the way Nati does but I also didn't go after trying to find anybody. Mm -hmm. I wanted my life. I wanted my, my time of learning that I needed to have as a resident and in setting up my practice mm -hmm. in the beginning, it was important for me to have time to be able to get that practice going before I ever got involved with the guy. Mm -hmm. I, I actually understand what goes on with the way Nati reacts. Just thought I'd throw that in because of what you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I have uh, I have many, many, many thoughts about that. But um, Karen, I'll let you speak. <laughs> Is there a difference between religious and observant? Ah, 
Dale Schatz, that's my dad, loves this conversation. Because, loves. It's funny because my dad loves this as well. So that's. Right. Oh, then hopefully your my dad's not coming. So hopefully your dad is. My dad could have this conversation until the cows come home. Um, because wait, wait. Yes. No, I'm listening. I'm very excited. Yeah, go ahead. Give me his number, and then we can meet for coffee. Oh, he would Here's love that. Problem. Yes. Go ahead. I don't think she's not Jewish anymore or religious anymore. Uh -huh. I think her observance and uh, like he said, the guy in the cafe, you know, just uh, drinking the Kool-Aid, if you will, you know, just going along with what it is. And that's right. And he was questioning his own space in all of that. I think that's what she's sort of hooked into. Hmm. So I don't think it's, I don't want to be religious. I think she's finding her way to be religious, mm -hmm. but in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I will stop now. No, <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, my dad, whenever we talk about this topic and you say something about being observed, or if I write a sermon or anything and it says, and being observant of, or whatever, he, he goes bonkers because he... he he would agree with you that there is not, um, if you just say, I'm really from, right, I'm really observant, that doesn't mean that you're very religious. You could be the most secular person and still practice in a way that feels to you like you're connected to some kind of spirituality and religion and therefore are religious. Um, so, yes, I, I think... Again, I, I don't want to say anything that's going to give anything away because, you know, as we know about series that you'll you'll pick up on these cliffhangers at the next series, but uh, season, sorry. But the I think what you are getting at is that she which is why right Pernick said that she needed to be like a real serious Chiloni. She needed to be really serious about being secular because she wanted to understand what it meant to step away from I think both. But you're right that they don't have to be separate and apart from one another. And there are there are shots humans who would agree with you that they can also be detached from one another, and one could be at a higher level than than the other. Um, I don't know if Robbie Parnick wants to say anything about what his dad would say, but you um, can if you would like. Yeah, no, I mean, like when my my sister became from in college, and it was like really complicated because she became Orthodox and, you know, my dad's a reform rabbi. And just like those language thing, you know, whenever she would talk about becoming more religious, like dad, you don't get it. You're not, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, I've become religious. And it's like, well, what are you saying? I'm not religious. Or that, you know, um, or like observant, you know, it's so like every word, it's like charged nature to it. It's like you orthodox. You can say I'm becoming more orthodox. And like, that was fine. There was no fighting that. Like, um, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's a little overstated. Um, you know, I, th I think when someone talks about being observant, like we know what they mean. Um, religious may be a little bit different because people could feel religious and not be observant, but observant. You can also be observant of things that you and I might not think of as frumkite, right? Someone could be very observant of a different way of, pre like reformed Jews could say, I'm extremely observant in spending Shabbat doing this, that, and the other thing, 
that to you and I, who keep Shabbat differently, might not see as the same kind of observance, but it's still an observance. <clears throat> you don't agree. That's oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it could be, yeah. Um, Barbara and then Terrell, yeah. Wait, I... Oh, sorry, I was sorry. Um, <laughs> I think wanted that... to just add, to add more as a question in terms of Barbara's comment about Nati and the medical training is in what ways is it similar to medical training in the United States? I know in Israel, because the vast majority of people do high school, army, and then college, that college is three years, not four. I also think, I'm not sure, that some of what in the United States is a graduate level education, like law or medicine, in Israel might be the whole education rather than like a second layer after college. Yeah, correct. Well, I, I can actually answer that a little bit uh, from olden days when I was a medical student in 1962. And I spent the summer at Tel HaShemer. And then I'll go on to what I was going to comment about, about something else. Um, they, they do, we, in those days... Many of my classmates actually only did three years of college. I played a little too much bridge, so I didn't have the grades to go in after three years. But I got in after four without any problem. And I'm a one bitchin' doctor, if I do say so myself. So it didn't hurt my playing and doing an extra year. And in fact, uh, the year that I went that summer when I went to Israel, I also was part of the time in in in, um, in Europe. And I came back and I took a music class and an art class, things I never would have thought of taking, which broadened me significantly. Um, so, and then, but when I was in Israel, they had residents in the ophthalmology department, which I spent my time in. They had attendings there. Actually, one of them was a pretty sharp old boy. Um, and and, and the, from what I gathered of the education at that time, it wasn't that much different than from what we did in America. I don't know if it's changed now, but I'm pretty sure if you're going to do specialization, you still have to do it in the hospital and you have to spend your time as a resident. I don't know the years that they spend in each one. I know what they are here in America, but I bet they're not different. I think what she's saying is that you apply straight, like my friend's son right now got out of the army and is applying straight into medical school. Right. They don't do four years of bio major or right. whatever. You sort of and there are medical profession. schools that do that in the United States that give do like dual things and get your PhDs and, and MDs in, in a very short period of time. But uh, the reason I originally raised my hand was um, Rabbi Pernick is an Orthodox rabbi and his constituents um, are different than what we are at Beth Am because we're conservative and conservative <clears throat> Jews are a wide range of Jewry. There's those of us, there, there, there are those, those in our, in our, the library minion, for instance, which is, I'm part of the library minion, which is a group which doesn't utilize a rabbi, except that we've got more rabbis in it than probably any synagogue in the United States. We've got people like Rabbi Dorf, 
um, and and lots of really top-notch rabbis that drosh for us and and really are give us good learning. But they only do it because they volunteer on a every four, six, eight, twelve-week basis. They they're not forced into doing it. And and we have different people davening for us. And but we have people in the library minion who the only thing that makes them different from Rabbi Pernick is that they're sitting in a mixed shul of men and women. That is the only thing. They abide by every law of Shabbos that there is. Then they have you have people like myself who I now, because I've gotten more religious, drive mostly to get to shul or to somebody's house for dinner, but I'll occasionally do some other stuff. But mostly it's become religious. And then you have other people that enjoy feeling a little more religious, enjoy a little bit more religious service instead of a service with mostly English, like in the Reform synagogues, and they come to Beth Am as well. And they consider themselves to be more religious. Actually, right. I'm, just, I, I'm gonna ch- just chime in a bit because I, I think with you know I'll note that right everyone exists on a spectrum you know like every yeah. synagogue every community every, right so like I'm an Orthodox rabbi one person who's joining here from New Orleans is a member of my synagogue and she's a Reform rabbi um, right so and most of the other people are members of conservative synagogues or not members of synagogue right so like yeah there's a spectrum for everyone. Um, and yeah, certainly there's, right. And I think that the point that you're talking about, um, Hodaya is Hodaya sort of has this feeling of like, I just need to leave the structure as a whole. Um, my dad's here. So we were talking about, um, the question was raised about observant versus religious. So I said, you know, that's a, a fun topic for you, you know, but, um, yeah, like I think the point there for her was like I just sort of need to leave the whole religious like structure of you know community and of all of that because you know and and the person she meets in the shop in the coffee shop who says like yeah I'm more religious now than I've ever been but it's because I left observant life right there's something to that also yeah. um, for some people that's like. Right. But people have their different access points. And for some people, the only way to really access religion is to leave observance, right? Or, or orthodoxy. <laughs> well, I, I, don't think it, I, I don't think it matters that she's spending, that she doesn't want to go to shul and she doesn't want to observe Shabbos the way she's observed it her whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think she can throw out the feelings that she has for it. And we'll yeah. find out what happens later. Right, but I, I agree. I think she, you know those are things that are always going to be sort of part of her. There's no way. Yeah, can't Let's cut, Barbara. You're lovely, and we're going to call in a few other people just to okay. just to make yeah. sure that we. Terrell had his hand up a while ago, so okay, Terrell. Terrell, and then Renee and Barbara. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, I haven't gone through like straight like going from reform to being from, but my dad is a Baptist pastor, so for our talk after I converted was much more of like for him, I completely left one religion to go to another one to be like to say more Torah observant than his was. So for me, definitely from my perspective, I'm very much religious and observant, but looking at talking about how fathers view are like a changing, I literally left 
I pretty much went from being non not observant of the Torah to being completely observant of the Torah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Renee. Um, I think that what she meant is that she almost has to, she had to like jump in with both feet and not believing in anything because there was a part, there is a part of her that does feel a connection to Yiddishkeit. And if she didn't leave it all the way, then she would be stuck hanging on to those feelings and she wouldn't be able to see what not being from was all about. Yeah. Well, you look like you're pensive. No, no, no. I was going to think, no, you can comment. It's fine. I was thinking of saying something, but you can, you can go ahead. No, no, I'm thinking of what I'm going to say. You go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I I just was going to agree and not chime in with anything notable. I just wonder, fine, then I'll talk. I just wonder if she, if what you're saying is, is accurate in that she's actually looking for something new or that she is trying to decide if the world that she was living in that became mundane and boring is actually the world in which she would want to live in, right? That sometimes you have to go to the complete opposite extreme to find your way back a little bit to center. And and I wonder if she's doing a little bit of that, um, albeit maybe a, a little bit later in life than we typically see it done. Like when I was in college, I became very from um, and am not part of Aish any longer. Um, so I swung back the other the other direction, but not as far back as I started. So sometimes you have to you have to kind of work that pendulum to understand where you're going to land a little bit. And if you know nothing about the other side, which for her is you know, Chiloni, right? A secular, she's not even talking denominations. She's just talking secular versus not secular, right? So she wants to go all the way to that side so that she can figure out like where her spot is, I think. I don't know. I mean, I do know, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but it seems like, it seemed like with her, it's, it was, it's the, the transition when with people, I, it's, it seems like who are more observant and then question or <laughs> They're where they are. It seems to be more of a black and white decision rather than other people who want to make changes in their level of observance where it's more of a gradual kind of thing. Well, again, I think that she grew up in a world that is black and white. And so for her, she can't imagine not living in that kind of world where there is gray, right? She believes that either I'm going to observe all of the mitzvot and have all of these stringencies, or I'm going to have Nothing. none of the mitzvot and none of the stringencies. And then, you know, potentially she'll find her way back into the middle or at least a combination of both to feel comfortable. Many hands just went up and very excited about this comment. So, okay. Um, Rabbi Parnik and then Norm and then Denise. Well, and Rabbi Barbara was also physically raising her hand. Oh, sorry. I did not see you. Okay. So Rabbi Parnik, then Rabbi Barbara, then Norm, then Denise. Whew, lots of rabbis. Okay. Okay. Right. That's, that should take about two and a half hours, right? Um, <laughs> so, no. So, I was just going to say that, you know, my experiences in Israel, where for the most part it was black or white, and they didn't know what to do with a reform rabbi or a conservative rabbi. And I remember when I was in rabbinical school and I had these little kids, and I knew I was messing with their, with their brains, and they saw me wearing a kippah and they asked, Atadati. 
And I said, orthodoxy. I'm, I'm, are you religious? I said, I'm religious, but I'm not orthodox. And they were like, you know, they, they just, they, I mean, they were, they were, you know, playing with nursery rhymes and all that. They had no idea. But, but I think a lot of Israelis, and especially when we saw Reut and our Hodaya, and she's having these discussions, you know, I want to hang out with secular friends. I got secular friends and I'm, I feel like I'm missing out on all these things. And even though it has its challenges, that's part of the idea of certainly reform. And I think conservative Judaism as well is that there is a way to blend the two. And that's not the way most Israelis have grown up. Right. Right. Yeah. And I would just add that I think I was going to joke and put it in the chat, but I figured I would explain it anyway. Instead, um, that it's conservative and reform and also a, a liberal modern orthodox. Right. Like even even that is not dati enough to be considered dati in Israel. Right. So anything outside of that black and white for which modern orthodoxy definitely is closer to than the other two movements that you mentioned. But anything outside of that black and white for them is just is is unknowable and and hard to to kind of fathom how to be part of that world. So I, I agree. I think she needs to figure out that there is there is life outside of that black and white, um, specifically because that's how she's understood her existence up until now. Right. I, I'm sure I've mentioned it here before, but one of my teachers in the yeshiva, who's a Belzer chassid, you know, when, when asked why he teaches in the yeshiva, he said, like, look, I'm in a community that where everything is very black and white. And like when people decide, you know what, I don't want to wear just white shirts anymore. I think I want to wear shirts with a stripe. It's like, well, may as well eat a bacon cheeseburger, um, you know, and he's like, I want to like be, have a place to send those people to be like, no, you know what? Like, I know people who are who keep halacha and wear colored shirts. Right. So like there, you know, like you were saying, there's that line everywhere. And so there is like that value also, even in the Orthodox world of like, you know, finding those places where there is what what's gray for each community is different but so i will point different. out that the reform rabbi on the call is wearing a white shirt and you are wearing a blue shirt so you know we might we need <laughs> might need to have a conversation about that okay rabbi barbara and then norm and then denise and then rebecca so i have had many of the experiences that rabbi pernick senior has had in israel where people would say what are you doing here and i would say i was studying and then where you were studying, what are you doing? And you would explain, and then they go, Dati, but you didn't look Dati to them. And so it was very confusing. Um, but to go back to Hodega, um, you know, she really is a seeker, and she's a thinker. Um, you just don't go to Hebrew University and just go there and be in a little narrow box and not think, and she was doing biblical criticism. Hello, <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a hard that's a hard thing to do, especially if you've been raised orthodox, super orthodox, because it's challenging everything that you've grown up believing. Mm -hmm. And it's not. I don't think it's surprising that she is at this point. And I think when she met the professor. When he said that he was more religious now, although she couldn't see how she could get there, I think it was a ray of hope for her mm -hmm. that she could see that 
that you didn't have to lose your connection to God. I mean, I think she has a connection to God, mm-hmm. but she just isn't in touch with it at this point in time. Yeah, and which goes and, back. And, and can't see it for right. the ways that it manifests itself. Right, right. And that goes back to this discussion that we were having um, that our fathers instilled in us on this idea of observance and, and religious, right? Which Which she is now having this conversation with him about and he keeps saying i've i'm closer to god right now than i ever was as an orthodox or he doesn't say the word orthodox as a dati man as a as a religious um religiously observant i'll use them together uh person right and that that is interesting for her to still want to seek him out and seek that out um, even though she seems to be stepping away from religion so i i agree i think she does have that connection to god still okay all right, I'm going to stop. Rabbi Parna can keep commenting after people. I'm going to stop so that we can get through some of these comments. Norm, Rebecca, Denise, Karen, Robert. I, I just wanted to say that I hope at some point in one of the future seasons we'll see one of our principal characters experimenting with a farther to the right level of Frumkite, because I think that might prove very interesting in seeing how that affects the relationships with all these other characters, because mm-hmm. they're all very close to each other religiously. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to see that happen. Yeah, definitely be an interesting twist. Rebecca. Sorry. Um, I was just thinking that for, for Hodaya, when she was going to uh, spend Shabbat with her secular boyfriend and in going through all the preparations for that and explaining to him, okay, and this is for Shabbat. And then the kashrut and um, you know, when he was visiting and here's the dairy spoon and make sure you use that to stir your coffee and, and all the details and all of that. I wonder if that in, in her having to go through and explain all of that, just the mechanics of all those things perhaps caused her to, kind of you know wonder what is all of this that I'm doing just kind of automatically you know if I don't really feel uh, uh, the obser- the uh, religiosity behind it so I think uh, her perhaps having to explain it to somebody else caused her to question it for herself hmm. and then the other thing I was thinking of is that it's really um, uh, Hodaya and, and another female character, Rayut, in going off to India and, and you know, the way she seems to kind of uh, uh, pursue some things that aren't so conventionally, you know, within, within her Orthodox community. Uh, it's really the women who are, who are uh, exploring things. The closest that any of the male characters come to exploring something different is, uh, what's his name, Yochai uh, in Wani. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. With office supplies rather than uh, strictly, you know, doing uh, Torah and Haftorah teaching and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. that it, it's really the the women that they have exploring the religiosity. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Denise. Oh. Yeah, so I feel I feel like I struggle with this stuff all the time, which I guess pres, which is why it's resonant as a show. Um, and I feel like. I don't know. There's like, it's like so polarized. It's like in the U S and in Israel, it's like, or you're religious or you, you know, you take halacha seriously or you watch TV and it's, there's no fusion here that I feel. And, and I have a bunch of friends in England. Um, 
and they're amazing. And they're, they're all like Rabbi Lord Sachs, where they're super educated and they're super intellectual and they're engaged with normal society. They're into sports and they watch the masked singer and, you know, and they go to shul every single Shabbos, even if they have to walk four miles through hail and mud, which we did. And it was crazy. And, you know, but they're into it and they, and they, they eat in kosher restaurants and, you know, it's just, it's nice. I feel like, like there's something to be said for that fusion. And, and for me here, I feel like spiritually homeless, you know, I feel like, like intellectually and societally, I relate a thousand percent to Beth Am. but you know, people kind of look at me sideways, like, oh yeah, that's the from one, you know, and I'm not like from, from, but you know, there's like that stigma that I always feel. So that's all. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that we each have to find our spiritual home as well as like the halachic home, right? The, the home that we feel the most comfortable praying in or being in spiritually or whatever you want to say is your kind of your, uh, yeah, spiritual home. I don't know what else to call it. That, that place that you're going to feel comfortable. And I would say to you specifically, I don't think that anybody is, is trying to, uh, to, to say, oh, that's the from one. After all, if you're in the library minion, as Barbara said, you're amongst good good company. Um, but I but I do think that there is a, a way in which we have to sometimes live in a space that doesn't complete us on all of those levels. Um, and trying to figure that out is is a journey. And you ask yourself a lot of questions along that journey as well. So thank you for sharing that. I forget now who is next. Karen? Robert. I think Karen, okay. Well, let's go with Robert. Okay. I, um, when, I, when I was in Israel about 10 years ago, I, I, I took a chance and I stayed with a uh, Yemenite, <clears throat> Yemenite Orthodox family. And it was my first Yemenite Seder. Uh, and it was great. But during the Seder, uh, the... Um, guy uh, the the father asked me so what is so what do you how do you observe in the united states so i said i'm conservative and he says oh and he's described is that like dati light <laughs> so he basically that's the way that uh um a mizrahi jew uh, could relate to um uh, the conservative or possibly reform movements that you know we, okay we do something um observance traditional but um uh, nothing like uh, uh, orthodox or heredity, um, and yet we're not Hiloni. Right. So there's like Dati light, and there's also Masorati, which is a term that's used right. a lot, which is different than Masorati. But Masorati is like you have Shabbos dinner at your parents' house and you eat kugel, but like you're still going to watch TV afterwards. You know, like that's Masorati. Right. You know, like, so that's also very common. And, and but Dati light uh, is another term. Dati light right. is more like you wear a kippa, but like you know, you're not so you're not so careful about. It. You know. And actually, even though, um, you know, Hodayad, uh, you know, um, was suffering during her relationship with the professor, I, I'm actually very hopeful the fact that she's actually took the, the big step to experiment with Hiloni uh, ideas and, and people um, and, and try to understand it better by stepping out of her, uh, the box that she grew up in. So. Hmm. Yeah. Karen, did you have a, point, a comment that you wanted to make or is that no longer relevant? Okay. relevant. Sorry. It's so, I mean, I'll just comment on, on Robert's point. You know, when I was talking with Rabbi Schatz about what to, to talk about today, you know, now we've, uh, 
you know, Feldman. Now that we're getting like, to a topic with <laughs> no, but I mean it's related, obviously. Like, yeah. um, you know, we were talking about just some of the struggles of you know the, at the end of the episode, and I'm I imagine again I haven't seen past this. I you know so I'm I don't know what happens, um, but that whole scene with Hodaya and um, and Yifat at the end about like living together and all of that. We were saying, I mean, again, this touches on a lot of the, the themes that we're talking about, but just like navigating, you know, you thought like, yeah, we figure it out. Like you figure out what happens when there's, you know, hair in the bathroom and, you know, like you like everything that with roommates, you figure it out. And so like, this is the same kind of thing where it's a matter of, uh, it's a matter of figuring it out, but it, you know, it's interesting because it is, I mean, I think Rabbi Schatz and I both have experienced it. I probably a lot of us do. Um, of experiences of like living with people whose religious observances are not quite in line with ours. I was actually even thinking about it um, also like just now we're in a world where people are much more like everyone beyond the Jewish world is much more aware of like the way that their actions impact others who share a household with them. Um, And like the idea of like some people who are more meticulous than others, you know, which often is a, challenge in a you know kashrut shabbos setting like now with covid it's like right like okay we all agree that we're going to do x y and z but then there's the one who sneaks around you know sneaks in late at night after going to the bar right like so those kinds of tensions are not specific to a religious orientation but are are you know certainly exist within within a religious orientation of you know what happens when someone's really you know okay everyone calls themselves from but like you know, one guy, if he accidentally screws up and, you know, sticks a fleshic spoon in the milk in the milk pot and no one's around, is just going to stick it back in the drawer because he knows no one knows. Right? Like those kinds of things um, or he assumes no one knows. Right. Like um, there's like I'm sure it'll be interesting to see how they navigate those kinds of tensions you know, um, going going forward. But, um, yeah, do you, you look like you were going to add something. I, no, I mean, yes, <laughs> there have been instances in which living with people who have different observances is definitely difficult. And um, your dad just made the point that, you know, Maimonides has this really beautiful kind of adage that if you're not questioning your faith, then like, what kind of faith do you really have? Which is what the professor says about God, right? If you're not questioning what's going on, then how can you say that you're, that you're living a life uh, fulfilled and um, feeling empowered by, by uh, that connection because if you don't have questions you're just like blindly practicing and um, when I lived in Israel my roommates got there before I did and they were second year students at a rabbinical seminary and I was a third year student and um, I showed up and the first question we had never met before and the first question they asked me was how do we kosher our plates and I looked at them and I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? Like, aren't the plates co- kosher? We're in a kosher home. That was the whole idea of us living here. And they said, well, we weren't really sure which ones were flesh and which ones were milchik. So we just used paper. I was like, okay, well, first of all, we could call the person who owns the home and just ask. <laughs> but if we really wanted to kosher them, like, let's go see the plates. It turns out the plates are not kosherable um based on their uh the are, their um are any plates kosherable i mean like unless they're metal i guess glass plates yeah 
Right? Yeah. <laughs> Meaning like ceramic, um, I think of plates as being ceramic. Okay, so they were ceramic. Yeah. Um, and so I had to explain to them like that we couldn't kosher them and we couldn't do anything with them and we had to kind of just figure out from the person who owned the place. But it would it would have been very easy for me to just say, don't worry about it, I'll figure it out. But in that moment of, and they weren't any like less from than me or whatever, they just had questions that I knew answers to. But in that moment, I also got to teach them something. And I think that for the people that I've lived with who have been less, um, less observant or less at least outwardly religious, um, I have felt like that's the best part of it, is being able to explain why I keep kosher, why I have so many different sets of everything, why I have different parts of a sink. Like those, those kinds of things have been exciting for me. Um, and there are moments that are difficult, right? If, if Hodaya wants to live in a place where she can experience what it's like to turn on the TV on Shabbat, it's gonna be hard for her to be in a religious household where that TV is in a public space. So there are benefits definitely to living with people for whom you get to ask those questions like Maimonides tells us to ask in terms of why is it that I do what I do? It's why I love working with conversion students because they have questions that I've always taken things for granted. But then there's also just the practicality of it of if I live in a space that has public pieces to it, how are we gonna be able to exist in those spaces? Um, and then one one last story that I'll tell you and then we can go on to more of this topic or a different one. Um, I housed a few teenagers last year. They were doing a Shabbaton in the Pico Robertson area, which is the area sort of that I live in. And they part of the this Shabbaton was that they were going to be in people's homes where they could walk to shul. It was very important for the school that they not drive to shul, even if that's their familial uh, practice. So I had, I think it was three girls staying with me. And at like 1 a.m. on Friday night, I heard them making popcorn in my microwave. And I came out of my room, angry that I was awake at 1 a.m. I uh, came out of my room and I said, we have to stop making the popcorn. And they looked at me, you know, frightened because this big scary rabbi just told them to stop doing something. And I said to them, I don't care that you brought the food into my house. I would have preferred you not to. But what I actually want you to recognize is that you are now cooking in a kitchen that doesn't get cooked in on Shabbat. And does that, do you get why that would be difficult for me? And these teenagers who didn't want to have a conversation with me at 1 a.m. got to understand a little bit more about why that sanctity of Shabbat is not just about not turning the TV on, but it's also about being careful about the spaces in which you're existing with other people who might find those things important. Rabbis, Pernick, any, any words? <laughs> no, I, oh, Dad, are you going to... Say something. Well, I was going to say it would be interesting to find out, and then what? What did they say once you were gone? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yes. right. Yeah, they were probably mad, but they didn't make yeah, the popcorn, sure. so yeah. that's fine. <laughs> but but you know that's but that's you know a lot of times when we're learning, and this is true in 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 all relationships, a lot of times people's initial reaction is is negative, and then they think about it. And I mean, I remember my very first congregation, I was an assistant rabbi in Worcester, Massachusetts, and we had a temple administrator named Harold. And no matter what we asked him, we just knew he was going to say no, no matter what it was. No. Okay. But then he'd think about it and whatever. And, you know, and sometimes it ended up being yes, but I think some people are very open to learning. You know, that's really interesting. Tell me more rabbi shots. 
and then there are others who you know they have to they have to digest it and some people just don't want to hear of course that's what yeah. makes the world go round i mean it was interesting for me like so yeah just thinking about some of those issues like when i moved into manhattan to start rabbinical school i moved into a from apartment that had been like the three people I moved in with, there was a four bedroom, like had lived together for a number of years. One had smicha from YU. Like it was like a from apartment that like they all knew what was going on. They all like they knew the, the drill. And then like one by one, my roommates got married. And every year we had to fill at least one spot. And, you know, it got to the point my last year where like in my mind, it was like it was a from apartment. And like, but, but, um, you know, by the end, by my last year there, like I was now the firmest one there um, in terms of observances. And like the things were before it was a whole conversation about whether we can use tap water in the kumkum on Shabbat or not, because Rav Shachter, who's a Rosh Hashiva at YU, says you can't use New York City tap water because of the microscopic insects that are in there. So my roommate who was, you know, wouldn't, we had to buy, um, we had to buy gallons of water for the kumkum, like for the hot water heater, because that was his humra from Rav Shachter about not drinking tap water from in New York City because of the, what are they called? The They're like little microscopic little... Yeah, the little, I forget what they're called. So anyway, um, some, something peds. Oh, I can't think of it. Um, no, they're not that tiny. They're like, uh, no, no. They're, they're, they are visible. They're visible to the naked eye. They're just... You have to look. You have to be looking for them to see them. That's why the pizza and bagels. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Apparently, the story that I heard, at least, of of um, how they discovered this, this water. We're going down this water rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, just briefly. Okay. Um, um, so there's a there's a uh, from vegetable brand called Bodek, where everything is grown hydroponically. And so they say it's kosher. You don't have to check the vegetables, right? It's certified kosher, right? And so someone sued them because they said, I had my Bodek lettuce. And I, even though they say you don't have to check it, I checked it and I saw bugs. They say, well, that's impossible. We grow it hydroponically. There are no bugs. Like there are, there are no bugs in the facility. And so then that was sort of. At least that's the story I heard of how they discovered, like, oh, no, it's actually the water supply in the city that has these, like, like these tiny bugs. But anyway, um, you know, we went from that kind of, you know, from, like, whether we can use tap water or gallons of water to now, like, people accidentally trapping up in the pots and, the, like, all the time. Um, and it's doable. And it's, right, Bodek means check. Thank you, Dad. But, like, they, you know, the whole idea is you don't actually have to check. It's, it's pre-checked. But by pre-checked, it means... There were no bugs anywhere because it was grown in water. Um, but, you know, it's like, I don't know. We'll see what happens with their apartment dynamics. But like having been in numerous different kinds of permutations of that, like there are those challenges of what happens when people commit to being, to saying, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do, but they don't actually care themselves anymore. Like it ends up becoming complicated. It's also interesting though, if you think about like living with people who might be on the same you know, plain as you when it comes to religiosity, that you still have things that are, that are, that you're not going to agree with or that you're going to have different customs about. Like, 
Do you stand for kiddish? Do you sit for kiddish? Do we rip toilet paper? Do we not rip toilet paper? Do we leave a light on? Do we have a timer? Right? Like even if there are things that you're going to get to the same result, like there are still things that even if you are quote from all of you, there are also going to be things to think about. And, and I think that, that it's, that we've already seen that with Yifat and Hodaya, and so it's interesting that she feels like she needs to extract herself to to have an even different experience, um, and that Yifat is like, we'll just handle, we've handled everything else, we'll just handle it, it'll be totally fine. Um, and and what she needs out of that, like the space that she needs to be able to, to kind of figure out who she is, um, separate and apart from Yifat in that home. Okay. Very good. Should we wrap it up here? Thank you. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so we go by Rabbi. Uh, yeah, there we go. go, go. Rabbi Shatz usually asks all the halakhic questions that she gets to me anyway, so it's you know it ends up being the same answer. Wait, what uh, was the question? My dad said, do you go by Rabbi Shatz or Rabbi Pernick? I said, you usually send me <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah. Or depends. If you're smart, you know the answer to that question. We don't have to. We don't have to answer. There's, there's no question at all. I know. But, you know. Every experienced person knows that they have to form a shop and pick which rabbi is going to give the answer they want. Yeah, right. I like. That's I, how I, mean, I yeah. found Josh. <laughs> so, like, whenever people come to me with conversion, I'm like, I'm just telling you, you're going to end up. You're going to end up wanting someone else. Go to Rebecca. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, Michael, I thought you had a hand up. Yeah, I just, if I may, I put a question in the chat, if you don't mind, Rabbi Schatz. Is your father a rabbi? No. Oh, the way rabbi. you were discussing before, I thought possibly. Oh, no, no, no. He's not a He should have gone to rabbinical school. Um, <laughs> he he actually, at my rabbinical school, you, you get smicha from... Uh, a rabbi, and then you're also allowed to have like a sponsor up there. And so he was my sponsor because I wanted him to feel like he was gaining smicha as I was. Um, but no, he's not. He he also did not go to cantorial school, though he acts as a cantor for a shul in Los Angeles. Uh, so he's one of those. But no, he's very rabbinically. Anything I've ever written that has gone out into the world has been uh, written with or edited by my father. And uh, yeah, he's a wonderful guy, but not a rabbi. Okay, everybody. I think we'll wrap it up here. We're going to, next week, we finish season one, but unlike with the shows when you have to wait five months or six months for a new, <laughs> new episode, we're going to just dive right into season two next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.